0: With me please, to the New Testament book of Acts. Oh, I'm sorry, we were in Acts so often this morning. We're in Colossians tonight though. Colossians chapter number 4 is where we will find our text this evening. As we return and, and uh, continue here in, uh, this, in this particular book of the Bible, it seems like it's been such a long time ago uh, that we've been in the book of Colossians, a few weeks, but we're very glad for what God continues to teach us here. Just a reminder that this book is about the all-sufficient Jesus. The Bible says in chapter 3 that Christ is all and in all. The end of verse number 11. But who is this Jesus? He is Christ in you, the hope of glory. But who is this Jesus? The Bible says He's the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Uh, The Bible tells us that, that He is the head of the body the church who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things He might have the preeminence. Remember, Jesus Christ, He is the Creator and the sustainer of all things. This church that we belong to does not belong to any individual here. We may be part of it, but we never purchased it. Jesus Christ purchased it with His blood on the cross, and He allows us, by His grace, to be His children. The Bible tells us that, uh, that He has uh, made peace through the blood of His cross by Him to reconcile all things to Himself. And as we have this relationship with Jesus Christ, uh, he, has, he is to have preeminence in everything we do. And Paul is writing and he's encouraging these uh, Colossian Christians to begin living a certain kind of life. You see, the, preem- the, the preeminence of Christ in the life of the saint is what you could say a lifestyle. Now, there's always something that is, that is working to steal uh, the Lord's place in our lives. Now, he is not to be one of many. he's to be our one and only. He's the all-sufficient one. He's the preeminent one. And I'm thankful for the relationship that we have with Christ. Consider what Jesus has done for you. Look in chapter number two, please, in verse number 14. um, And well, in verse 13 says, And you, being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. You and I have been forgiven. I'm thankful for the forgiveness of the Lord. What does that look like? Well, in verse number 14, the Bible says, Blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to His cross, and having spoiled principalities and powers, He made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. Christians, we look here, we find that that Jesus is the head that we're to hold on to. In chapter 2, verse 19, it says, and, and not holding the head from which all the body, by joints and band, having nourishment, ministered, uh, and knit together, increaseth with the increase of God. Increaseth with the increase of God. He must increase, but I must decrease, is what John the Baptist said. But as we look here tonight, again, in chapter 3, we find the practical application of Christ in you the hope of glory. If you have been forgiven, if you have been made alive, you are not made alive to live as as if you were dead. Now, to live as if we were dead is not dead physically, but dead spiritually. In Ephesians chapter 2, Paul describes the salvation by saying in verse 1, "...and you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins." We were walking around dead spiritually. And because we were dead spiritually, we obeyed the flesh. We did exactly as what the natural man would do. Do you want to know what a natural man looks like? How many of you have pets at home? Anybody have a dog? You know, it's interesting you can train that dog all you want, but it's still a dog. And you may tell that dog to sit, but he's not going to always sit. You may, you can tell that dog to sit, and you can put a nice, juicy steak in front of that dog's nose. And while you're looking, he's going to sit. But you can come back in the room, and that steak's going to be gone. Because it's, na- it's a brute beast. It's an animal. The only desire it has is to please its flesh. And that's how you and I were before we knew the Lord. Just a desire to please ourselves and to make ourselves happy. We look here and that's not how we ought to live our lives. Remember in verse number 1, there's a a statement here. We'll read in just a moment. It says, "If, if ye then be risen with Christ. And he begins to describe what this Christian life ought to be like. And may I say, you cannot live the Christian life on your own. To attempt to do that is an exercise in futility. It will frustrate you. It will burden you. There will be no joy, no peace, no satisfaction in that. We can live for Christ as Christ lives through us. And as we look here, we are told to seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. We're to set our affection on things above, not on things of the earth. We're to... It says, "For ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory." What an amazing statement. Did you catch that? In verse number three, it says, oh, I'm sorry, verse four, "When Christ, who is your life? is he? Is Christ your life? What does that mean? Well, I believe there's a twofold application that we could make here. Of course, there's no way that we can live without Christ. In other words, there's no salvation apart from Jesus when Christ, who is your life, shall appear. But then we also look at it practically speaking that our lives ought to revolve around the Lord. Is your life Christ centered or is it man centered? Only you can answer that question. But when Christ, who is your life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. But until then, until we get to heaven, what must be done? How are we to live our lives? He tells us to mortify uh, our members which are upon this earth. We're to put off the old man and put on the new man. We're to uh, let the peace of God rule in our hearts. We're, We're to let the Word of Christ dwell in us richly. The Bible says in verse 17 of chapter 3, "...whatsoever ye do in word or deed, Do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by Him. Then he begins to describe different facets of the home. He addresses wives and husbands and children and fathers. There's a certain way we ought to live. There are certain things we ought to do. We ought to behave how we say we believe, right? If we believe that Jesus is who He says He is, if we believe that Jesus Christ is who God's Word says He is, if He is our Savior, then we ought to live a certain way. And that is reflected inside the home, but then it's also reflected outside of the home. He addresses servants, And in chapter 4 and verse number 1, he addresses masters. But tonight, as we look back here in chapter 4, we're going to read in just a moment in verse number 2. And I invite you to stand with me as we read this portion of Scripture. We're going to begin by reading back in chapter number 3 in verse number 1. And then we're going to skip down to chapter 4 in verse number 2. And we'll read through verse number 4. Look what the Bible says. In Colossians chapter 3 and verse 1, the Bible says, If ye then be risen with Christ, look down in chapter 4 and verse number 2, continue in prayer and watch in the same with thanksgiving. With with all praying also for us that God would open unto us a door of utterance to speak the mystery of Christ for which I am also in bonds. that That I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. Father in heaven, we thank You for the Word of God tonight. And Lord, our desire this evening is that You would help us. Lord, we say we know You as our Savior. And help us behave as such. Lord, may You lead us on to victory tonight and help us understand what the Scriptures say and help us do accordingly. So, Father, bless this time of preaching. May the Word of God not return void. Lord, we pray that You'd strengthen our hearts to receive this message. Help us do as Your Word commands. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. If you're in the habit of marking things in your Bibles, I'd like to, again, draw your attention to chapter 3 and verse number 1, where the Bible says, If ye then be risen with Christ. So if you're born again of God's Spirit, if you've been quickened from the dead by Christ Jesus, the Spirit of God lives within you, you've been forgiven, you have a relationship with Christ, if ye then be risen with Christ... Look down at what the Bible says in verse 2 and chapter 4. It says, continue in prayer. Did you mark that statement? Continue in prayer. Isn't it interesting how he begins with the word continue? Do you know what this does? This assumes that you and I are doing the right thing. It, It assumes that you and I are already a people of prayer. prayer is necessary for the christian life is it necessary physically speaking for you and me to breathe for our lungs to inhale fresh oxygen and exhale was it carbon mon- carbon dioxide right we inhale we exhale. Is it, is it healthy to breathe? Some would say you can't live without it. Is it healthy to pray? Can, you, can your Christian life survive without prayer? Now understand, I, we, I'm not saying that you cannot be saved uh, and not pray, you know? Your salvation does not hinge upon your prayer life. But the health of your Christian life depends on the health of your prayer life. So how how faithful are we in our prayer lives? The Bible says, look there in chapter chapter 4, in verse 2, He says, "...Continue in prayer, and watch in the same with thanksgiving." In these these prayers, we must must express a spirit of uh, of watchfulness. The word to watch means to to show vigilance concerning things going on around us. Do you realize there is a lot going on around us in our daily lives? Are you aware? Can you see? Do you get a sense of the spiritual battle in which we find ourselves? This watchfulness, this vigilance in our Christian lives, is necessary. Hold your place here in Colossians and turn back, please, to what the and notice what the Bible says in uh, the in Ephesians chapter number six. In Ephesians chapter six, Paul gives to us the this whole armor of God, or he describes what the armor of God is. And in verse twelve of chapter six. The Bible says, "For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against uh, the ruler, uh, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. We may not be able to see our adversary, but he's there." The Bible warns us in 1 Peter chapter 5 and was it verse 8 tells us to be sober to be vigilant because our adversary uh, the devil as a roaring lion walketh about seeking whom he may devour. Do you understand that there are forces at work in our lives that are greater than you and me but not greater than God? There are the only if The only way that we can overcome, that that we can gain victory in these areas, is through prayer. Look what the Bible says in verse 13 of chapter 6 of Ephesians. It says, Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. What What is the objective? The objective is to stand. The objective is to not fall down on our faces and perish, right? The objective is to, is to gain victory and to not suffer defeat. That's the objective. I don't like to lose. Not at all. You know, we're highly competitive, aren't we? How many of you are competitive people? My wife and I, we really don't play lots of board games and things together because I like to win, and I hate to lose. <laughs> my kids my well, Gideon, he really still likes to play Candyland, right I'm in charge of the of the cards you know what, you know what I mean Candyland's got the little colored squares that you navigate across and and then you you make it to the little castle and you win, right? Somehow, I always get the lollipop that takes you to the end. <laughs> Daddy wins again. <laughs> Let's play again. All right, we put this one aside, <laughs> you know? Uh, all kidding aside though, right? We like to win and you can even rig Candyland. You can even rig chutes and ladders if you're, if you're, if you're creative enough, right? But uh, all of these things, we like to win. And we go to great lengths to win. We invent little tricks in order to gain an edge in these petty games of life, right? But what about the Christian life? Do you realize there's no shortcut? You can't cut the corners. You can't rig the deck. You just have to play. And you cannot play in your own power. You have to play according to the Lord. And God provides us the tools necessary To live. In verse 14 of Ephesians 6, it says, Stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. But there's one piece, one practice, if you would, that makes all of these pieces fit nice and snug. Our boys, for Christmas this year, we bought them rollerblades and helmets. (laughs) And they've been practicing rollerblading. Well, Joel... He didn't get a pair of rollerblades. He and Gideon didn't get any rollerblades, but he wants to rollerblade. So we found these old, pa- this old pair of rollerblades in our garage. I think they were mine when I was a kid, you know. And uh, man, we've cinched those babies. We tied those laces as tightly as we can, and we and, and we slid his leg down or his foot down inside these rollerblades and they're just loose, and he's flopping all around in them. You know, there's no, there's no stability at all. I mean, I'm watching how his legs are bent, and I'm thinking, there's no way I could walk tomorrow if I tried to do what he's doing right now. But then I realized, as I, as I looked more closely, I, I realized that there was a way to ratchet everything nice and tight and snug. there was a a ratchet strap on this or a latch. You run it through and you get it tight and then you fold it over and it snugs everything up super tight. Do you realize that these rollerblades are like one-size-fits-all? Do you know what the armor of God is? It's one-size-fits-all. And you might think, well, that it's too big for me. It's too bulky. I don't, I can't, I can't do it. I can't really wear it. I can't wear it right. I can't wear it effectively because you're trying to wear it wrong. You're trying, you're attempting to wear the armor of God without prayer. Prayer is the, is the latch. It's that ratchet. It's that strap that brings everything snug, everything tight, and causes everything to fit and function as God designed it. Prayer. Look what the Bible says there back in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 18. It says, "...praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit." And here's the word again, notice, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints, and for me that utterance may be given unto me that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in bonds, that therein I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. There's a parallel passage here. Did you notice that? Turn back to Colossians chapter four, in in verse two he. He says, with all praying also uh, for us, verse 3, that God would open unto us a door of utterance to speak the mystery of Christ, for which I am also in bonds, that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. But He's telling us to pray. Pray. Christian, how is your prayer life? You know that prayer is, is a discipline that's learned. You know, we don't just wake up in the morning and become George Mueller's. It would perhaps be nice. You know, I wake up tomorrow, my name's Ian Bounds. You know, I have these great works that I've written on prayer. I've seen God do great and mighty things in my life. We all want the great and mighty things in life, do we not? But do you know what those come as a result of? Prayer. We often don't enjoy the full extent of God's blessings and what God would love to do because we're not willing to pray the price. We must be a people of prayer. And the Lord assumes our prayer. Look back in Colossians chapter 4 in verse 2 he says continue in prayer. Continue in prayer. In order to continue, we have to begin. Christian, are you, a, are you a Christian of prayer? Do we exhibit great prayerfulness? Or great prayerlessness? We must learn to pray. If we are God's children, which we are, we've been born again of God's Spirit, you, in fact, are the child of God. But as many, For as many as received Him, to them, gave he, to them gave He power, become the sons of God, even to them that believe on His name. If ye then be risen with Christ. Continue in prayer. But there's three simple lessons this evening I'd like for us to, to notice as we consider our prayer lives. Notice the first thing you and I ought to do is develop a prayer life. Develop a prayer life. That sounds simple enough, doesn't it? (laughs) It's not. Prayer is work. Prayer is perhaps the most disciplined thing you will do today. Prayer takes great concentration. Prayer takes great consistency and fortitude and perseverance and diligence and vigilance. Prayer is hard. Have you ever noticed when you sit down to pray that a thousand different things begin to flood your mind? Just ask the disciples when Jesus took them to the garden to watch and pray for an hour. And He turns around and He sees them sleeping on the ground. In the most pivotal moment of world history, they're asleep when Jesus tells them to watch and pray. He wakes them up. says, watch and pray. The Spirit truly is willing, but the flesh is weak. And Jesus goes and He prays as if it were great sweat drops of blood. And He turns around and again, there they are, fast asleep. I can almost picture them curled up in a little ball, laying there in the ground in the garden. Garden of Gethsemane. Cuddled up next to each other to escape the cold chill in the air. And he looks at him and goes, yeah, sleep on, you know. But we've got to learn how to pray. In Luke chapter 11, turn there please, Luke 11, we find the Lord teaching His disciples to pray. In Luke 11, the Bible says, and it came to pass in verse 1, that as He was praying in a certain place... When he ceased, one of his disciples said unto him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John also taught his disciples. If prayer was that important to Christ, should it not be that important to you and me as well? The Bible says in verse 2, And he said unto them, When ye pray, say, Our Father which art in heaven hallowed, be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, as in heaven so in earth. Give us day by day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, for we also forgive every one that is indebted to us, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. The Lord did not provide that as a model prayer, or as a model prayer, but not to be repeated in a vain repetition. Right. You can take it, you can personalize it, make it your own. It's a great framework upon which we can begin the process of developing a prayer life. But he gives examples for us here. In verse 5, notice he said unto them, Which of you shall have a friend, and shall go unto him at midnight, and say unto him, Friend, lend me three loaves? For a friend of mine in his journey has come to me, and I have nothing to set before him. And he from within shall answer and say, Trouble me not, the door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot rise to give thee. You know, you can go knock on your neighbor's door at midnight, you can ask him for a loaf of bread. Is he going to answer the door? He might speak to you through your ring doorbell. What are you doing here, buddy? You know, just get out of here. It's midnight. Don't you know what time it is? I'm tired, I'm asleep, I'm in bed. Don't, give, don't bother me. My kids are asleep. I knocked on someone's door yesterday, and they, they answered apologetically. They said, I'm so sorry. Uh, our doorbell's broken. And they come to find out they had a baby in the house that was asleep. I said, I bet you're glad the doorbell didn't work. You know, it woke that baby up. right?" But don't wake up, my children. Yet yeah, we still stand knocking at the door. There's still the need. The need trumps the time, right? It doesn't matter what time it is, all we understand is that there is an urgent need. Do you have an urgent need in your life? Is there something pressing in your life? Something that you cannot go on without? Something that you're burned with or troubled by? Something that that your heart yearns for? The Bible describes this urgency in our prayers. He says in verse 8, I send it to you, though he will not rise and give him because he is his friend. Some friend. He's, I'm not going to help you. Yet because of his importunity, he will rise and give him as many as he needed. What does that word importunity mean? That's a word that we don't often use in our modern uh, daily speech, right? You know what it means? It means, hey, 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 I need some help. I need some help. Hey, come on, open the door. There's an urgency here. I'm waiting. I'm not going anywhere until you open this door. Come on, come on now. I I need something. Come help me. All right, fine, right? Just cut it out. I will help you. Just stop knocking. All right, just stop yelling. You're going to wake my kids up. There's an urgency. There's an importunity. Then he goes on in verse number 9. The Bible says as Jesus speaks, he says, and I say unto you, ask and it shall be given you. Seek and ye shall find, knock and it shall be opened unto you. For Every one that asketh receiveth, and to him that seeketh findeth, and to him that knocketh it shall be open. Christian, you have not because you ask not. You ask and have not because you ask amiss that ye may consume it upon your own lust. But Christian, understand the great need to ask. I oftentimes wonder how much of our prayers are just idle speech, and that. There is no. We never ask for anything when we pray. The next time you pray, consider what you're praying, and have you really asked? You may tell God, "Lord, I have a need here. That I know you can take care of it." But have you asked Him to take care of it? Have you asked Him to meet that need in your life? Have you gotten down to the bare bolts specifics? of what you need God to do? Ask, and ye shall receive. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. Do you believe it? Do you believe that God is able to do exceeding abundantly above uh, all we could ask or think? Do you know what the word pray means? It doesn't mean to wax eloquent. It doesn't mean to uh, to contrive this great uh, oratory, this great speech, this this develop this great monologue that we present to God, if flowery and flamboyant. It simply means to ask. Do you realize that there is great uh, profundity and simplicity? Do you, want to put, do you want a dynamic prayer life? Well, then stop being flamboyant and just pray. Just ask. Look, He gives us another example there in verse 11. He says, If a son shall ask bread of any of you that is a father, will he give him a stone? Hey, Daddy, I'm hungry. Here, chew on this rock for a while. Roll that around in your mouth. And then it will go to the dentist later. Right? Doesn't make a whole lot of sense, does it? We're not going to give our children a stone in place of bread. Or if he asks a fish, will he for a fish give him a serpent? Hey, I just, you know, we caught a lot of fish while we were in North Carolina. You know what we did not do? We didn't give our children any poisonous, venomous snakes uh, in place of those fish we caught. Why? We didn't want our kids to get hurt. Look again there in verse, uh, in verse number 12. He says, Or if ye shall ask an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? Well, No. Even I know that, that he would never do such a thing as that. It just, no, it just makes no sense, does it? Well, consider God. Look in verse 13. It says, If ye then, being evil, in other words, we're just sinful people, we're evil. It says, If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children? And I know how to, we know how to take care of our kids. When they fall down, we pick them up. When they, scratch, when they scratch their leg, we, we clean it off. When they're hungry, we give them food to eat. Uh, we, we protect them. We provide for them. If he then, being evil, know how to give uh, good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask Him? Christian, will not God supply your need? And as we live... As we reflect upon the Lord Jesus Christ and his working in our lives, we understand that he is the all sufficient one, who, Christ, who is all and in all. And if he then be risen with him, continue in prayer. But if we're going to continue, we've got to start somewhere. We've got to learn to develop this prayer life. Pray regularly, pray consistently, pray simply, but pray. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Pray. Pray without ceasing. Pray. Maintain an attitude of prayer. We are to pray. We are to continue in prayer. We are to understand that we are to live consciously in the presence of Christ. That any moment, you and I can take our prayers and petitions to the Lord. We are to be a people of prayer. Develop a prayer life, but I want you look back in Colossians chapter 4, Colossians chapter number 4, Paul then, assuming that God's people are praying, he asks them to pray for some things. Look there in verse number 3. He says, with all praying also for us that God would open unto us a door of utterance to speak the mystery of Christ for which I am also in bonds. Christian, why not you write this down. Pray for an open door of utterance. The door is an opportunity. Utterance. Utterance is the ability to speak the things concerning Christ. Pray for an opportunity to speak the things concerning Christ. Pray for an opportunity to share the Gospel. Uh, Just a few weeks ago, we were here on a Thursday night, and uh, I think, Susan, you you had brought... uh, A prayer request concerning the public schools and the dire mess they're in. And we had mentioned, you know, that they had been closed since since COVID of last year. We had not met in the school for over a year. I think probably 14 months it's been. We prayed about it. And you know what happened? Unbeknownst to us, God was at work. (laughs) Imagine a god that actually works a god who hears and answers prayer and we got a phone a text message on my phone from from the school sponsor pray for pray for us the teacher is retiring Dennis Wade's retiring we need another we need a new sponsor for that school otherwise we won't be able to hold bible club there next year But he texts me, he said, the kids want to meet. And so I called him. And we met last week. We're going to meet this week. This week will be the last week, then school's out. We were gone on vacation, so they met by themselves. That's <laughs> amazing. But Christian, God opens doors, doesn't he? You can force a door open, but it's never going to work out. (laughs) You'll always be sorry if you push yourself in somewhere God does not want you to be. But it's always encouraging. It's always exciting to see God open that door that you've prayed for. The Bible says in Revelation chapter 3, in verse 8, He says, I know thy works. Behold, I have set before thee an open door, and no man can shut it. For thou hast little strength Do you realize that's who you and I are? We are those of little strength. We can't do it. We can't live for God. We can't serve the Lord on our own. We cannot do it. Jesus says, without me, ye can do nothing. We are of little strength. You know, I would rather be of little strength than of little faith. It doesn't matter how, how little your strength is if you have great faith in a greater God. So it has kept my word and has not denied me. Christian, we ought to pray and pray and pray for, for opportunities to preach the Gospel. Will you turn to the book of 1 Corinthians, please? 1 Corinthians chapter 16 in verse number 7 the Bible says, as Paul writes, he, he says, For I will not see, uh, see you now by the way, but I trust to tarry a while with you if the Lord permit. But I will tarry at Ephesus until Pentecost. He was, so Paul is on his missionary journeys. He's wanting to come to Corinth and stayed just a short while with the Corinthian Christians, courage him in the Lord, but he makes a statement, he says, you know, but I'm not going to come just yet, I'm going to tarry still at Ephesus. Why was he going to wait at Ephesus? He says in verse number 9, for a great door, and effectual, is open unto me, and there are many adversaries. Christians, there, are, there, there was a lot going on. Turn to Acts chapter number 19. The Lord opened this, this door. He gave an opportunity. Uh, in Acts chapter number 19, in verse number 1, it says, "...and it came to pass that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul having passed through the upper coast, came to Ephesus... And finding certain disciples, he said unto them, Have ye received the Holy Ghost, since ye believed? And they said unto him, We have not so much as heard, whether there be any Holy Ghost. And he said unto them, Unto what then were ye baptized? And they said, Unto John's baptism. Uh, then said Paul, verily, uh, John verily baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying unto the people that they should believe on him which should come after him, that is, on Christ Jesus." When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands upon them, the Holy Ghost came on them, and they spake with tongues and prophesied. And all the men were about twelve. Pretty interesting. the Bible goes on to say in verse 8, And he went into the synagogue and spake boldly for the space of three months, disputing and persuading the things concerning the kingdom of God. But when divers were, were hardened, and believed not, but spake evil of that way before, uh, before the multitude, he departed from them and separated the disciples, disputing daily in the school of Tyrannus. And the Bible says, And this continued by the space of two years, so that all they which, her, uh, which dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jews and Greeks. So what happened? Prayed for a great door and effectual. Why? Because there are many adversaries. You know, Paul back in Colossians, he was he was he was writing at the time as a prisoner of the gospel. He was in bonds. He had been arrested. For preaching, yet in the midst of his affliction, in the midst of his trial, in the midst of his suffering, he is praying and he is, and he is pleading with others to pray that God would further the work. Christian, what do you face today? You know, I, I, sometimes I wonder how much opposition it would take for us to be silenced. And I like to think, key word, I like to think, I hope, I pray, that the opposition would not get to us. But we, like our Baptist forefathers, would preach and be faithful even in the midst of persecution and affliction. And that every every bit of opposition is an opportunity to share the gospel. Would you write that down? Every opposition is an opportunity to preach the gospel. We were knocking doors yesterday just up here off of Milner Road. <laughs> unbeknownst to me, I knocked on a door twice yesterday, right? They were very polite, you know. I think uh, they had already, re- someone had already attempted to give them literature that they didn't want. And uh, they were not, so well, we're not religious. We don't want your stuff. So I respect that. And their dogs are outside messing with my kids, so I'm thinking, well, while they're out here trying to rally their dogs, I'm just gonna preach the gospel to them here, you know. And I say, this might sound strange coming from a pastor, but I don't I don't like religion. I'm actually opposed to religion. And I'm like, what? I said, Oh yeah, yeah, religion, that's a man made thing. The Bible describes religion as vain. Vain religions received by tradition from your father, right? The Bible does not teach religion. So there's nothing that, religion will never help reform you. It'll just make you more carnal, more self-reliant. I said the only thing that will help you is a relationship with Jesus Christ, and that's what the Bible promotes, and that's why I'm here today. So that's what you need. You need a relationship with Jesus Christ. And she looked at me, and you could tell, like, this conversation is over now, you know. So we politely left. But Christian, every opposition, sometimes, oh man, I, I... No, every opposition God wants to use as an opportunity to preach the gospel, we look back in Acts chapter nineteen. The Bible says, "They, were, but when uh, divers were hardened and believed not, but speak evil of that way before the multitude, he departed from them and separated the disciples, disputing daily in the school of one Tyrannus." You know, Paul said, "You know what? I'm going to use this as an opportunity for greater things for the Lord. I'm going to take. I'm going to take what God has given, what God has done, and I'm going to." By God's grace, see God do greater things with it. I'm going to take those that the Lord has given us favor with, and I'm going to teach them the Word of God more perfectly. How long did this go on? It says, and this continued by the space of two years. So that all they which dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jews and Greeks. Well, they don't want to hear it. Christian, what lost person really does want to hear about the Lord? (laughs) The natural man receiveth not the things of God. They are but foolishness to them. There's none that seeketh after God. But every opposition that, that that the devil throws our way. God, I believe, wants to use as a door of utterance. Look back in Colossians 4. We notice the last thing here. We're to develop a prayer life and pray for utterance, that door of utterance, that opportunity to share the Gospel. But notice what the Bible says in verse 4. Paul says, "...that I may make it manifest." as I ought to speak. The word manifest means to make abundantly obvious or apparent. Oh, now I understand. I was able to lead someone to the Lord recently. And I asked them a question, I said, you know, do you know for sure heaven's your home? And they said, I, you know, I'd like to think I do, but I, I, don't, I don't really know. I, know. I mean, he said, that's what I want, but I just, I'm just not sure. I think, okay, Lord, help me not mess this up. You know, Lord, help me make it clear Help me make it plain. Lord, help me make it obvious. Help me not say anything that would be confusing, but just to simply and concisely share with this person the Gospel. I had someone with me and I I know they were praying and the individual allowed me to take the, the Bible and open the pages of Scripture and lead them through the Romans road. <laughs> and, he, and, they, and, I, and I said, does that make sense? He said, oh yes. Oh yes. I said, well, what, what would you like to do? He said, I'd like to get saved. That's what I'd like to do. I kid you not, that's what he said. I said, I want to get saved. All right, so what do you have to do? He said, well, I have to ask the Lord to forgive me and be my Savior. I mean, right there, didn't even have to lead him in a sinner's prayer. He just prayed, you know, and got saved. And followed the Lord in baptism earlier today. But it's God that did it. You realize that there's nothing you and I can do to save a lost man? But tell them the gospel. But the great temptation is to do it in our own power. And there's all kinds of soul winning courses out there, you know. And I'm all for that. I think it's only appropriate to to learn how to share the gospel with people and to do so and and know how you're going to get from point A to point B, not get bogged down in the weeds. And to learn the, uh, how to how to keep on track when someone says, "Hey, well, what about?" Well, got a question? Doesn't have anything that, that pertains to the gospel. That's a good question. We'll come back to that. So, you know, I mean, it's good to it's good to learn these things. But no no amount of education can ever replace the power of God on your life. No amount of education. No amount of practice. Can ever replace the work of the Holy Spirit. That's why Paul, he said, and Paul, an able man, wouldn't you say? Educated, well educated. He was a Hebrew of the Hebrews, is touching the law, blameless, a Pharisee. But he asked for them to pray. that the Word of God would be made manifest. Christian, when you pray for your church, when you pray for the missionaries our church partners with to get the Gospel around the world, how do you pray for them? Do you know what we ought to pray? We ought to pray that the Lord would open a door of utterance for them to speak the mystery of Christ We ought to pray that God would help them make it manifest. That it would be, that God would do a work. And Christian, I hope, I pray that you pray that for me. Because it's a waste if we don't. But Christians, if ye then be risen with Christ, continue in prayer continue in prayer how's your prayer life for what are you praying are you asking in your prayers I was we had a stalking to a couple men earlier this this afternoon we were just talking. I don't know how it even came up. Preaching, you know. There's an art to preaching, and there's a science to preaching. The art is the presentation, the science is the content. But above the art, and above the content. The Lord desires to do a work in the heart of His preacher. If God's not doing the work in the preacher, it doesn't matter what the content is. It doesn't matter how polished the delivery is. God's more interested in the individual. Christians, pray for the messengers, pray for the preachers, pray for the Sunday school teachers. Too often we make church a game. And I love church. You probably understand that, you know. I mean, I really love church. I love who makes up the church, I love the one that purchased the church and put it together. I love the purposes of the church. I love it all. But if all we do is walk into this building, find our seats, sit down, and go through the motions of singing and fellowship, and we can even take our Bibles out and scratch down a few notes, but we need to pray that God would do a work in the hearts. That God would make it clear. That God would make it manifest to the hearts of the people. That the Lord would make the light bulb come on. Ah, now I see. Now I understand. Now I know what God expects. We must rely on Him. I'm going to ask that you pray for those doors of utterance, those opportunities to speak, to share the Gospel, both individually and collectively as a church. I'm going to ask that you pray that God would always cause His Word to be manifest. Not just the Gospel of Jesus Christ but every time the Word of God, every time the Bible is preached, that everyone would understand, God, this is what You have for us. Lord, this is what You want. Would You do that? We've got to continue in prayer. Let us continue doing what God assumes we already are.